Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin. I'm your host. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman in South Louisiana. Frank, has it stopped raining there yet? For the one or two days out of the year. Yeah, it's not (laughs) raining at all today. So you realize that you actually have a sun, right? And a sky that's blue. Yes, and it's uh, somewhat drying up the ground. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Well, dear friends, if you've just joined us, you've caught us in the middle of our series, which we call The One Another's. It's our take on life and the body of Christ. And I'll give you a warning if this is your first time with us. This isn't going to be a chat between two guys where we pat each other on the back and tell us how good we're doing. This is an honest, open, gut evaluation of the body of Christ as our Lord Jesus described it in his word. And so far, we've talked about things like the importance of showing humility to one another, preferring one another, greeting and being kind to one another. Uh, One of my least favorites, submitting ourselves to one another, which goes hand in hand with another one I don't like, serving one another, and then having equal concern for one another. And last week was really tough, Frank. It was being tenderhearted or having compassion for one another. So friends, that's where we are today. And our topic in this podcast is the next in our series, and it's called Accept One Another. It comes from Romans 15, 7, where scripture says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So there's a qualifier in there because we are to accept just as Christ did. And Frank, I'll begin with this thought. This acceptance isn't a grudging acceptance. It's not like you and I are negotiating and I'm settling for something and you're giving up something and we're trying to find a compromise. Oh no, this is something very different. In fact, I like the King James translation. That version says, receive one another, which means in my mind, to take that person to yourself, to make that person fully yours. And here's the one, grant access in your heart to them in friendship. So Frank, this acceptance is really a very different thing from what society tells us, isn't it? Yes, it really is, John, uh, because it's so foreign to what the world has experienced ever since the fall of man back in the garden. You know, when we look back into the garden, we see a man and a woman living in harmony and peace. I mean, I scour those early pages of Genesis, John, and I don't see a hint of selfishness, uh, conflict, manipulation, control issues. Uh, I'll date myself here, how old I am, but when we look at the Garden of Eden, it's like looking at uh, what used to be called the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits, and to the modern kids, a science fiction movie. (laughs) You know, we look at the Garden of Eden, and it doesn't compute 
to see people living in such harmony. And that's because that was all lost back in the garden. God told man, whatever you do, don't eat from that tree. He ate from the tree. Sin entered the world. And John, here's a, here's a thought. When I go and speak at a conference or group of people, I will often ask them, what's the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve ate? And do you know that probably eight or nine out of 10 times, people will say they hid from God. And I say, well, that's the second thing that happened. And they're shocked. They're surprised. And then I have to tell them they hid from each other. They sewed on fig leaves. This is the language I like to use. They were obviously self-aware in the Garden of Eden because they were persons and they were aware of their personhood, but they were not self-absorbed. They were not self-consumed. They weren't self-oriented. We don't know how long it was, but they lived for a long, long time being naked and not even knowing it. But all of a sudden, self became supreme. And you know, that was exactly what the enemy had said. In the day you eat, you will be like God. The world will be around you. I, I like to call it a universe. Y-O-U-N-I-V-R-S-E. <laughs> that's, that's catchy. <laughs> and uh, so they put on this fig leaves and they've been hiding from each other ever since. And that's because of fear. The fear that I'll be rejected and the way we're looking at it today, the fear that I won't be accepted. If I take off these fig leaves and you see me for who I really am, you won't like me. You won't accept me. And so, you know, we're in a culture today, John, that's all about wearing masks. Mankind has been wearing masks for centuries. Oh, yes, they have. You said some cool things, my friend. I want to go back and pick a few of those apart. Let's go back to the naked and not ashamed part. When I think about that, I, I think of no more vulnerable position to be in than to be naked to be completely uncovered, open for inspection for anyone to look and examine. And they were not ashamed. Basically, that to me says they accepted who they were completely. You want to take a look? Take a look. I accept myself. And because they accepted themselves completely, Frank, they accepted each other completely. And I think that was the fuel to the engine of love and uh, enrichment and uh, just the tender enjoyment they had in life because they didn't have to pretend they were something they were not. They didn't have to hide anything. And so when you throw God into that mix, my friend, here you have God who's perfectly acceptable in and of himself. You have the man acceptable in his own eyes, the woman acceptable in her own eyes. And so they're all acceptable in their own eyes. So they're acceptable to each other. So they live in a dance of acceptance. No fear, no shame, no rejection, no self-absorbance. It's just being together, an, an awareness of each other and an overwhelming awareness of God. And my friend, we lost that. Uh, and Father didn't want us to lose it. Uh, he's taken so many steps 
to fix it. We'll get to some of those steps in a minute, but let's talk about that a little bit more. Uh, you said that uh, they became gods. Talk a little bit more about that. What does that mean? They became gods because they've swallowed the lie of the enemy. Right. You'll be like God. So what did that mean? You know, one became a God, two became gods. They both were gods. How did that look? God is life. I think that's one of the most profound statements made in the Bible is in John 5, 26. God has life in himself. So he has life. He is life. He doesn't have life. He is life. And so he is the source of life for those two people. So when they bought the lie of the enemy, and I think there was a sense here in the worded that was used by the serpent, you know, indeed, as God said, he's calling into question the goodness of God. And he's saying, God's holding out on you. In other words, you're not getting all you should get. And, and almost this idea, I think, as I've meditated on it over the years, that isn't it demeaning to have to depend on somebody else? Isn't it demeaning to have to draw from someone else? Wouldn't it be much better to be your own God? And so that was the temptation. And of course, when you do that, and both of you believe the same lie, uh, then the question is, well, who's going to be God? Yeah. Do you, <laughs> you take know? turns or do you on wrestle or what? <laughs> yeah, and that becomes this tremendous source of conflict. And, and now you know you're not God, so your inadequacy has just been multiplied a gazillion fold because of a faulty belief system. I thought I was God, but I look at myself and I know I'm not. And then you add the one-two punch like a boxer that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they instantly put themselves uh, into an economy of achieving and performing instead of that demeaning economy of receiving. And instantly they know they don't perform well. And so if you don't perform well, that defeats your godness. So you can't let anybody know that you don't perform well or they'll know you're not God. And just to show you, John, how blitzed our humanity is by this, I, I see this all the time. I'll be sharing a truth with someone. You'll see in their eyes that they've never heard it before. And they'll look at me like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and you're like, why can't you just admit, oh, my goodness, I never knew that before, you know? Or why can't people just go, I was wrong? But, you know, they can't say they're wrong because that would speak against their godness. And, and therefore, then they're inferior. And if they're inferior, they're going to be rejected and not be accepted. So this whole thing is just a spiral down into hiding. Because yeah. inside of me, there's a great cry. You know, is there anybody out there that will love me just for who I am? not for what I do, not for how well I perform. Is there anyone out there that will accept me and not reject me when I fail? Uh, is there anyone that can just know about me and, and still love me? So now there's this great cry going out from the heart of man because I think man's greatest fear is the fear of being rejected. Yeah, I think you're right. And so now, as I look at it, uh, I've lived a lot of years, but every place I look, 
I see mankind screaming out for acceptance. And they don't stand on the corners, Frank. And they no. say, accept me, accept me, accept me. This is what we do. You know, we, we form clubs. You know, the Italian, yes. the Italian American Club of Greater New Orleans. If you go to a university, you, you join a fraternity. You join a sorority. Uh, you join a team, right? There's no I in team. I've seen that on a million Nike t-shirts. There's no I in team. And so all these organizations, and there are millions of them, uh, they're so popular because they provide an opportunity. Hey, if I join this club, will I be accepted? And so we try to narrow the focus of these clubs so closely so that they fit us as tightly as they can. So we maximize our chance for right. acceptance. And we do this. And, you know, the thing that breaks my heart, I, I know the world does this because they're lost. They don't know any better. But my friend, the church does this too. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many churches do you know where there is a vertical slice across race, race, culture, wealth, language? How many churches do a complete vertical slice from top to bottom? Very mm -hmm. few, maybe none. Mm -hmm. And so the church falls under this umbrella too. And you've been a pastor uh, for decades. Am I right on this or am I being overtly um, critical? Oh, no. It's what you're doing, John. I know you very well. We go back many, many years. You're a scientist. And my, I'm not. <laughs> but I understand in science, you put hypothesis and then you make observations and you to confirm your hypothesis and you know you made a statement that we find a club where we can belong well to, let's just think about that for a minute how about biker clubs these are the guys with the long hair the tattoos the the jeans the leather vests the big harley davidsons and so they'll accept somebody in who's just like them but what if one of their own showed up one day in a three-piece suit in a beamer you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's a pseudo acceptance. It's an acceptance only because the birds of the feather are flocking together. If you start to veer from the code of that group, you soon won't be a part of that group anymore. So it's, it's, it's a performance acceptance. In churches, you're spot on. You look at these churches, we're King James only. If you don't have a King James, you can't join our church. And I'm thinking that, you know, a lot of our uh, innovativeness in the modern church, churches don't sing hymns anymore. Boy, if you sing hymns, you can't be a part of our church. And then the hymn singers say, choruses, you can't sing that here in our church. And so there's this always this ugly division based on color, fashion, gender, race, uh, economic status, and you read a verse. We're supposed to accept one another as God has accepted us. And he didn't accept us on the basis of performance. No. He accepted us on the basis of the performance of his son. That's right. And all it is in every one of our parts, the great leveling playing field is the, the choice to trust the son. Yeah. You know, so we've been trying now for, I don't know how many years it's been since the fall, we've been trying to devise our own system of acceptance. Uh, each and every one has failed miserably, including the very best ones. Mm -hmm. And so God had to step in and fix it. 
I love 2 Corinthians 5, Frank. Mm. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, we were accepting ourselves. We were accepting each other because we're all in a wonderful dance of acceptance with our father. But when that relationship was broken, we lost our anchor. We lost our source of ability to accept. We lost our source of life. So God fixed that first by reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. Basically, Frank, he did the first important step. He removed the barrier that existed between him and us. And so nothing can stop us from coming to him but our own unwillingness. And then this is the part where it gets really tingly for me, my friend. Then when, he, when we come to him, he does something absolutely incredible. Ephesians 1, 6, he reconciled us in Christ, and now he accepts us in Christ. My goodness, Frank, I don't know how you feel, but when I think about that, I want to just yell or I want to cry, depending on what the emotional burst is at the time. The king of the universe, Frank, says that I'm okay. Yeah. Wow, do you hear that, Frank? He uh, says, I'm okay. Uh, what a message, my brother. Yeah, I have. I was listening to you, and there's some thoughts swimming in my brain. The old King James in Ephesians 1, 6 says, accepted in the beloved. And the beloved, of course, is the son, and we're in the son, so we are the beloved. Uh, I, I like uh, that 2 Corinthians 3, I believe it is, 5, where it says there is no adequacy in us, in and of ourselves. If we're going to become adequate, he has to make us adequate. And then the next phrase says, and he has made us adequate. <laughs> you know, not through the law, but through the spirit who applies the life of Christ to us. And so if we use that language you're using, you're okay. You remember back, I don't know, was it the 80s or 90s? There was a movement called I'm okay, you're okay. Yes, yes. Uh, God is the true author of that. God says, I'm okay. And by the way, through the work of my son, I've made you okay. Yeah. So I'm okay, you're okay. And if if you're okay in his eyes, John, then you have to be okay in my eyes. Yeah. And I've got to be okay in your eyes because we're all okay through the same means. You know, the world screams for peace and the world's never going to have peace until they have acceptance and they're never going to have acceptance apart from Christ. That's right. And so if our father accepts us, because his life is in us, my friend. We are now equipped, fully equipped, to accept others the mm. same way he does. But boy, mm. we don't have a history of doing that very well, do we? No. And, you know, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians 5, John, and this is, I think, why we don't have a history. It goes on to say, we no longer look at anyone after the flesh. Uh, so we, we're supposed to no longer look at all that separates us, all that makes us different, because we're supposed to look at each person as that someone Jesus Christ died for. John, I tell a story often, you've heard it, 
about a hippie waking up from a drug and alcohol high and in, in the gutter and there's a tract, a gospel tract, and he picks it up and reads it. It's about Jesus. He receives Jesus, puts his faith in Jesus, and he's born again. And at the end of the track, it says, go join a local church and become a functioning part of the body of Christ. So he goes down to the local church and the ushers meet him at the door and they say, oof, what are you doing here? This is the house of God. And he said, uh, well, I just got saved. And I've come to join a local church. He says, you can't come in here like that. You, you smell, you stink. And look at those clothes. They're filthy. He goes, oh, oh, I understand. So he goes home and washes his clothes. And he comes back the next week. And the ushers meet him at the door. And they go, what are you doing here? And he says, I've come to worship and be part of the church. They said, well, uh, uh this is the house of God. Look at you. You have this long hair and beard and holes in your clothes and no shoes. This is the house of God. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know. So he comes back the next week and he's gone to the thrift store and he's got the three-piece suit and he cut his hair and he shaved his beard and he's got some wing tips on. <laughs> Those are a style of shoes back in the what, 80s yeah. 90s. <laughs> so the ushers meet him at the door and they go, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I've come to worship. I just got saved a few weeks ago. And they said, what's that under your arm? And he said, well, that's my Bible. He got a Bible at the thrift store and they said, well, what version? And he said, it's a living Bible. Living Oh, we're King James. So he goes off and he comes back the next week and he bought himself a 25 pound King James version at the Christian bookstore. And the ushers meet him at the door and they say, buddy, we'd have thought you'd got the message by now. This is the house of God. You're not welcome here. We've been watching you. You're just a leopard changing his spots. So he heads home and he's dejected and he's crying out to God. And he says, God, you saved me. And you told me to join the local church. And I've been trying. I cut my hair. I shaved my beard. I got a three-piece suit. I, I bought a 25-pound King James. And, and they won't let. And just then there was a voice from heaven. And it was God. And God said, I know what you mean, son. I've been trying to get into that church myself for 35 years. <laughs> and if it wasn't so true, it would be funny. Um, but their biggest problem is those ushers called a building the house of God. They didn't understand that they were not like Israel anymore, where we were supposed to be different in terms of all of this ethic and external. We are now the living letters of Christ. We're we're supposed to love people. We, in fact, remember what Jesus said, when we give somebody a cup of water, he said, we're doing it to him. And the church has just not laid hold of that. And so we are very much still separated from each other in the body of Christ. And then, of course, from the world we're trying to reach. You know, my friend, the story you just told, yes, I've heard it a lot of times. And it's just as tragic every single time I hear it. It ties in with the word that you threw out earlier, the idea of masks. Mm. And uh, it takes a lot of courage to take off a mask, my friend, mm. and, ha and have everyone see you as you really are. Now, Father has equipped us to do that. And he wants us to take off our masks uh, with mm. him. And he wants us to be that open and that vulnerable with others. But that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, Frank. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, look at this this way. You know, if I'm going to take off my mask, you know, Jesus asked, am I weary? Am I heavy laden? Yes, because my masks are heavy and I'm mm -hmm. tired of wearing them. I want, a, I want that permanent vacation he talks about. I want the rest. So I'm going to take off my masks. And I know you accept me, Jesus. But now what about everybody else? So it really takes for this to function. 
It has to be uh, a body-wide decision almost that mm -hmm. one person accepts another and then that second person accepts a third. And pretty soon you have a community of, set of acceptance that slowly grows where people can relax and be themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's, that's, it's tough, man. It's tough when, mm -hmm. you, when you're looking for that acceptance home and it's very few places. Yeah. And I don't even know that it would be wise, John, you know, because of the way the church is to strip off all the masks. I think that the church isn't ready for it. I, I think you'd stand a good chance of being rejected and criticized and judged and maybe even told to leave. You said it very well. It's, it's one person at a time. You know, I've got a men's group right now, and it's a, it's a rule we have is that there shall be no rejection. <laughs> there shall only yeah. be acceptance. And so they're becoming more and more vulnerable with each other. And so it's becoming a, a, a small pocket of acceptance. But then as they give that to the rest of the body of Christ, it's a slow, slow, but can be an ever progressive, deeper march into the ministry of acceptance. I believe, John, that it's the most powerful ministry the church can do is the ministry of acceptance. Yes. When I'm in that counseling arena, it's the number one thing I do is, is I'm going to accept them. I'm not going to reject them. One of our dear friends has made this statement. Oh, that I could find a place where I could share my worst failure and find that I would not be rejected, but loved the more for having shared it. That's powerful. Wow, it certainly is. Can we find that place? I don't know. I think we can find certain people, but I don't know that we could find that church yet. No, I don't know either. I've not found it. Mm -hmm. But within churches, I've always managed to find a few individuals mm -hmm. where uh, that attitude uh, can cultivate. Mm -hmm. But uh, interesting, my friend, it takes a mindset, uh, something like this. Father, I am, I'm vulnerable with you. I am willing to be vulnerable with, with the people who you bring across my path. Would you tell me when is the right time and, and who is the right person? Because we're all wearing masks. We're all nervous. Somebody's got to make the first step. Father, I want to be that first bold, trusting step taker. But I want to do it only at your leading. Mm -hmm. So I found that uh, he has been faithful. Now, I don't have mm -hmm. a thousand close friends, mm -hmm. but over the years, I've got more intimate friends at that level than I can count on one hand. And I think that's probably more than, more than most people do mm -hmm. because it takes, you know, you have to be willing to be vulnerable because along with that means you've got to be willing to be rejected. Yeah, and I think the only way we're going to be willing to be rejected is if we are confident that we'll never be rejected by God. Yeah, they may reject us, but we acceptance has become our 24-7, 365 assurance. Yeah, but I think the church would get a lot more serious about this issue, John, if we understood how powerful acceptance is. And so I, I'm going to, if I could, just go to one person in the Bible. It's this Samaritan woman, John 4. 
And you know the story. She's drawing water from Jacob's well. It's a mile outside of the village. There are six natural springs in the village. So why is she going so far away when she could have fresh spring water in the village and she's going to get stale well water instead? Well, obviously, the other women are there at those springs and the men are there. And she's had five husbands and she's living with a guy now. So what's making her make that long journey and carry a heavy water pot? Rejection, the fear of rejection. Of course, I'll I'll speed up the story. Jesus meets her, reveals who she is, tells everything about her and offers to give her a water, a living water that'll satisfy her thirst forever. And of course, they have a little theological discussion. And then she finally says, I heard there's a Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. Yet, And the fascinating thing to me, she leaves her water pot. I mean, what has she gone there for? To get water. She leaves the water pot and runs to the very people she's been hiding from to say, I think I found the Messiah. I really believe, and I've had some theologues disagree with me, but I really believe in that moment she was born again and her fear of rejection was greatly minimized and her desire to minister acceptance was uh, stirred up and she went to those same people that were rejecting her. Yeah. And that's the power of, of acceptance. Yeah. She it's went, transformative. Yes, it transformed her. Not only did she feel accepted for the first time, perhaps in her whole life, certainly for a long time, but she ran back to the town to the people who rejected her and she rejected in return. But yeah. all that disappeared yeah. when she had the empowering acceptance from the Messiah. All that went behind. And so what's she going to do? She's running to tell the others about Jesus. And you know, Frank, when I think about that, a thought comes to my mind that maybe we, we've been over the years in the church approaching evangelism all wrong. You know, we memorize the Roman road. We pump all these verses into our brains. We knock on the doors. We look nice and clean and sweet. But, you know, maybe the best way to do it is the way God did it. He accepted us. He removed every barrier between us and then accepted us. Mm -hmm. And so why can't we be willing to extend that same acceptance to others and say, let me tell you about the Jesus who has accepted me completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can enjoy that same acceptance. You know, I I don't know how all those evangelism folks would feel about that, but I think there's a piece missing, my friend, a lifestyle piece that's so important. Yeah, and you see it throughout the scripture, you know, the Samaritan woman, but you also see it with the lepers, you know, who people would run from and Jesus went to. Uh, We see it with the woman caught in adultery in John 8. We see it with Zacchaeus. Jesus said, come on, I'm going to go have dinner with you tonight. We see it with Matthew. 
you know, the tax collector. And there's a fascinating thought there, John. When Mark writes his gospel about that account with Matthew, he says, and the Lord saw a tax collector. And then when Luke records his gospel, he says, and the Lord saw a tax collector. But when Matthew writes his gospel after his personal encounter with Jesus, he says, and Jesus saw a man. I think that's huge. Jesus accepted him. And I, I think that, like you say, that builds a bridge because we're answering that cry of the human heart. Is there anyone out there who will care about me? Anyone who will hear my plight? You know, anyone who will value me? And we say, yes, we will. Then we can share the gospel with them. Yeah. How can you accept me based on who you are and who I am? Well, because of the way I've been accepted. And so I extend mm -hmm. the same to you. Oh, my goodness. What a way that would change the way our churches function, the way we live, Frank. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we do what Romans 14 says, let us therefore not pass judgment on one another. And this is a cool verse. Let us not pass judgment on one another anymore, but decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. You know, we don't realize it, but when we look at someone and we look at them in their flesh and we see what they're doing, we find them offensive, repulsive, uh, inappropriate, distasteful. We make a decision about them that in a very real way puts a barricade between them and us. And so if there's Christ in us, they're never going to see it because they can't get past the barricade. Mm -hmm. So Romans 14 is a really powerful verse that I find very sobering for me because it's convicting for the attitudes that I've seen in my life over all these years. Yeah, John, it's interesting. I was sitting in a situation, a counseling situation once, and I just wrote out something on a piece of paper and I was stunned by what I wrote and I've been well, using Well, then you it. didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. And I've been using it now for 30 years, but if you, uh, it's an equation. And if you put the word no, N-O, where there is no honesty, there will be no intimacy. Uh, we can't be intimate if we're not honest. Where there's no intimacy, there will be no power uh, because we can't fulfill Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, two are better than one. We're all tackling this world as an individual. Where there's no power, there will be no victory. So where there's no honesty, there will be no intimacy. Where there's no intimacy, there's no power. Where there's no power, there's no victory. I think that's a true equation. But it's all built on one word underneath. And that's acceptance. Because I will never be honest with you if I don't know that you're going to accept me. But if you will accept me and I know it, then I will be honest with you. We will become more intimate together. There'll be power because it'll be two better than one. And we'll begin to experience victory. That's right. Huge dynamic. Yeah. You know, Christ's life in us, my friend, uh, should make us the safest people on earth. And the church, the body of Christ, should be the safest place on earth. Mm -hmm. So... Um, 
we've got a long way to go, my friend, uh, as we wrap this up. And so any last thoughts for our listeners? I think, John, I'd like to share this story. I think you've heard this story. I've, I've told it a few times. This young woman gave me permission to share her story. She was in my office, and I think she was about 19 or 20, and she was sharing her history. And she shared that she had lost her innocence at a young age, 12, 13. And I just said, well, thank you for sharing that with me. I love you and I accept you. So you've had a boyfriend and she shook her head. And I said, what's the matter? And she started to cry and she said, I have lots of boyfriends. And I said, okay, thank you for sharing that. I love you, accept you. How many boyfriends have you had? And by now she was crying and she said, Pastor Frank, I don't know how many boyfriends I've had. And so I just let her cry for a while till she gathered herself. And then I I asked a question. I said, young lady, I said, all behavior has motive. We don't do something unless there's a motive behind it. Why so many boyfriends? And I'll never forget this, John. She looked at me and she said, would you believe me if I told you I never wanted to do that with any of those boys? All I wanted was the hug, but I would do anything to get that hug. And I said, yes, I believe you. John, what an incredibly sad story that this little girl will do anything to get that smile on somebody's face. Uh, that cry of her heart, is there anybody that will love me? Anybody that will accept me? Unfortunately, she was with some people who said, I'll accept you if. But that day in my office, she found someone who said, I'll accept you for free. And over the next several weeks, she began to transform as she found the one who truly accepts her, the Lord. Jesus Christ, and her life became radically, radically changed. Wow. The power of acceptance. Amazing. Dear friends, you've been listening to us on the Our Resolute Hope podcast as we've talked about uh, our take on life and the body of Christ, uh, the one and others. Please check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. Uh, We've got lots of books and materials there. Sign up for our newsletter. Pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We've just published a new book. Pastor Frank Friedman uh, has written his book called Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It is an emotional bombshell. So pick that up. It will uh, will impact your life. And as we wrap up, we remind you, as always, with our sort of tagline from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I, well, we call it a resolute hope. It's a bedrock hope. And that hope is a person, Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online 
at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.